everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. I think we just need to recognize the limitations of a series like this, which is these are discussions that really are best um, in small groups around coffee tables, on sofas, a give and take, right? So we are limited by what is sort of a, you know, a one-way conversation. And so maybe that's another little pitch for, for small group communities so that you can actually sort of roll these ideas over and wrestle with them and push back against them. And uh, we're going to talk today about a subject that is really worthy of hours and hours of nuanced discussion. Like, we have 35 minutes, essentially, and um, it just can't be like a fire hose of all the theological and social and political and relational implications. Um, in fact, you know, we're really only going to talk about one thing today. So maybe you'd call it part one of a, of a much larger discussion. You know, we've had hours, hours upon hours of conversations about this with our elders team. We've had conferences that we've gone to. We've had in-services, uh, uh, special guests come speak with us. We've been reading books. It's been hours and hours of sort of nuanced conversation. And now we have a bit of a changeover in the board. And so we're having those conversations again because they're, they're important discussions. And so just know that we're not going to maybe address everything that you want addressed this morning. Um, I recognize, too, these are emotional issues. Like, you probably know somebody in this community. And, and, and we've all been raised in a specific culture, specific upbringing. You may have got <clears throat> a message very early on that uh, these are things we don't talk about or that you don't question. Um, and, and some of you got tired of, of being told that you don't wrestle with these things or question them, and it just wasn't acceptable. So this kind of conversation may make you wonder where we stand. Uh, we stand with truth, and we stand with love, and figuring out how to do both is really hard, isn't it? Hard. So... The idea today isn't for anyone to abandon your personal convictions. It it's, uh, it's also isn't to demand that everyone else share your personal convictions to be in a deep and meaningful fellowship with each other. Um, so I want to introduce a, a friend of mine. He's actually been maybe at NAC one of the longest of, of anybody. 
He was actually on staff way back in the day and uh, probably going on over 30 years at NAC. He's a uh, professional counselor and uh, a friend. And so uh, make him feel welcome. Uh, David Clout, come on up, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing good. You look good. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> After all that introduction of how old and how long, I <laughs> well, appreciate that. We're a strange friendship. You know, you kind of look like a cop, and I look like a homeless pirate, and uh, <laughs> uh, but we seem to make it work. And uh, I just want to put uh, my cards on the table. Is that? Um, if I'm being honest, I, I, I'm not scared of today, but I am nervous about today because I have, a, I guess, a nervousness about a, being misunderstood. I know there are denominational constraints. There are um, theological watchdogs. There's uh, uh, this people-pleasing side of me. I want everybody to be happy. I don't want to be thought of as a heretic or, or be misunderstood. Um, but Dave, more than, I suppose, offending that community of, of theological nitpicks and neatniks, um, we have a deeper worry. Maybe you could articulate a bit of that. Sure. I think uh, we both have, in our discussions, come up with the way that we're approaching. And uh, for me, one of the things is that I, I don't come as an authority on this topic, but as a student of the topic. And on my own journey, I didn't come to a position. Um, I've used that word. I'm on a journey, and I encourage that journey. And um, our greater concern um, is knowing that uh, people who identify with the LGBT community or who have family members um, that are present here today uh, our greater concern is that we would inadvertently somehow say things that would continue an oppression, a uh, minimizing, a way of rejecting. And, and so our hearts are here as we talk about this today uh, for the sensitivity of the experiences. Uh, one other just kind of initial uh, clarification, terminology within LGBTQ is fluid. And uh, those are a lot of letters. I'll get tired of saying LGBTQ. There's actually two S-A. It continues. Um, and so one of the things that the community has done is they have tried to um, take back some terminology. And so a common term these days being used is queer. And so I'll interchange those two. When I say queer, LGBTQ, I'm kind of talking about the same group and uh, those are just some initial thoughts. That it's interesting, you know, growing up as a kid, like that was a pejorative term, insult. And, uh, and so language does matter. And um, uh, like, uh, even as I sent Dave some questions to consider, um, he, he was good enough to say, just so you know, like even the way you phrase some of these questions could be seen as insulting. And I'm, I've, I'm on this journey too. And so I just wanna even like, um, even ask you today, 
to just as a learning experience for all of us is if, if, I, if I say things in a way that could be insulting, that you just sort of correct me in real time. And, uh, and, and then just remember, like, Dave and I don't feel like we have some monopoly on truth. But would you remember that, that you don't either? God has monopoly on truth. And until then, we sort of see through a glass darkly. But we're having what I think is an important discussion. And so, Dave, before, um, before I want to hear a bit about your story, this journey, I, I think it would be good if you sort of painted a picture of what um, you have seen in the big C evangelical church that has been hurtful. Yeah. Um, it is interesting how many of those uh, signs um, really depict what I've come to understand from stories, from testimonies, from interacting with people, what their experience is with the Big C Church, in particular evangelical churches. So I'd like to actually read a story. Um, this comes off of CBC The Gem, uh, kind of a new thing that CBC has put out there, and they put out these docs. And this is just one of them. There's been several that have shown up. Uh, and this is the story of a, uh, a man, Darcy Pierce, raised in Kingston, Ontario. So this is local. This isn't southern U.S. My upbringing was very, very religious, very sheltered. We didn't have a TV until I was in grade nine. We didn't listen to music that wasn't Christian. I was literally in church twice on Sunday, Monday night for prayer, Wednesday night Bible study, Friday night youth group, Saturday night prayer. Well, today... Darcy identifies as gay, if you insist on a label. But if you want to be completely accurate, he describes himself as a hybrid unicorn stud. He proclaims that with ease today, but in his Darcy's upbringing, just like the unicorn, gay people didn't exist. He says, it was bliss, though. I had the happiest childhood of anybody. We were low to middle income, but I have the best memories. I was just very, very naive. Within hours of his revelation, which was 20 years later, Darcy was sitting in the office of his church, where, after being interrogated about possible interactions with other church members, he received a very clear message from his pastor. This is against our beliefs. You need to stop coming here. He says, I was in the choir. I was involved with youth group. I was in Sunday school. They were like, all those responsibilities are gone. We don't want you stepping foot in this church. And a man who had known Darcy from infancy and had been his spiritual guide was now shouting in his face, First Pentecostal Church hates gays. And that pretty much sums up the predominant position for most of the North American church. Hatred, rejection, judgment, isolation, broken relationship, oppression, assumptions based on association alone, even violence. People have thrown scriptures at this community, calling them abominations. Proclamations are made. It was in the little video. AIDS is God's judgment against gays. Demonstrations occur. Westboro Baptist Church, famously knowing for holding up signs, God hates fags. Last month at the corner of Wellesley and Church Street, which is called The Village in Toronto, 
a street corner evangelist set up, wearing a body camera with a loudspeaker, and he began to condemn queer people, and then told them that there's hope in God because he loves them and hates their sin. It's a version of the love the sinner, hate the sin, and it's offensive. And Barna, who's a very credible church researcher, a statistic here, 91% of youth between the age of 16 and 29 perceive Christianity to be anti-gay. So the question goes, then how does this affect LGBTQ people? Well, first of all, it probably involves queer people feeling they need to hide. They need to choose. They need to try to act the right way by acting heterosexual. A number of LGBTQ people are encouraged, attempted to date and marry opposite partners. They've been encouraged to attend damaging reparative therapy. Some have been able to or had to endure multiple exorcisms. It's led them to be silent, to self-hate, to self-condemn, to self-harm, to homelessness, to hopelessness, and unfortunately, to suicide. There's a great uh, author, speaker, you probably are familiar with the name Tony Campolo, and he tells a story um, of his own youth, and maybe uh, we could just play that quick video. Roger. When I was in high school, there was this boy named Roger, and he was outed, a gay kid, and his homosexual orientation became known. West Philadelphia High was a huge and tough inner city school. You can imagine what we did to this kid some 50 years ago when ignorance prevailed on this issue. We humiliated this kid at every turn. On Fridays, after phys ed, when all the other kids would go into the shower, Roger wouldn't go in with us, he was afraid to. When he took his turn, we waited for him with our wet towels, and when he came out, we would whip them and sting his little body. I wasn't there the day that they took Roger and dragged him into that shower room and shoved him into the corner. And while he yelled and screamed for mercy, five guys urinated all over him. I wasn't there when that happened. He went home. He went to bed at about 10 o'clock. They say it was about two o'clock in the morning that Roger went down to the basement of his house and he hung himself. And I knew I wasn't a Christian because if I was a Christian, I would have been Roger's friend. You don't have to legitimate somebody's lifestyle in order to love that person, to be brother or sister to that person and to stand up for that person. friend out west who runs uh, the Mustard Seed, which is an organization for um, really homeless people of all ages. And he says his stats are 40% of the young people who are on the street have been kicked out of their homes because of um, gender, sexuality issues, m most of which are coming from Christian homes. So uh, I'll give you a little preview of we're going to have this summer series called Holy Discontent. I think all of us have a holy discontent, a thing that we are righteously angry about. Jesus was righteously angry about certain things. And 
I would say this has been a bit of your holy discontent. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could tell us a bit of your journey to that. Sure. Um, although I will present this kind of as my journey, uh, Sandy, uh, my wife, uh, has journeyed, uh, we've journeyed together through some of these events. Uh, so holy discontent, she's probably better on the holy side, and <laughs> I'm probably better on the discontent side. Um, but it goes way back to uh, us being in youth group, young adults, and a young man was part of that group and uh, certainly was viewed as gay and uh, was ridiculed, was bullied. Um, he was a friend of ours, and we hung out together, and he never officially came out, and I would say to this day, I don't know how he would identify. Um, but as I watched, it made me uncomfortable on two fronts. And one was that he was being targeted, and two was that I didn't know how to respond. Uh, in our families, we have some uh, family members who identify as uh, gay in the LGBTQ community. Um, and although it was known, it just wasn't talked about. Um, one of our relatives uh, moved out of the area, moved to Vancouver, where um, he would feel uh, part of a community that would allow him to be himself. And it was really a period I would call silence and awareness. Um, so along the way, we've had friends uh, that identify in the community, and we've formed really good, meaningful relationships. Fast forward, I uh, attended uh, Tyndale Seminary. I did my Master's of Divinity in Counseling. Um, it was my uh, postgraduate degree. I went on to do other things to currently uh, have a career as a registered psychotherapist. Um, and there was this discussion in one of our ethics classes. Would you counsel a same-sex couple? And I was kind of taken aback because my answer at that point was, was yes. My responsibility as a therapist is to help people have better relationships. It's not to be judgmental of them, but wow, the tension that came out and the things that were said, um, it just created this kind of slap in my face of going, whoa, this, this is really unsettled. So um, in my practice over the 21 years, I have had a number of uh, clients, uh, LGBTQ clients. Uh, if you came into my office, it's no secret that I am a follower of Christ. If you look at my bookshelf, uh, if any of you are familiar with Larry Crabb's Finding God, it's like a neon sign on a bookshelf, like you can't miss it. Um, and I generally have a Bible sitting on my desk or somewhere around. So on one occasion, uh, I did have one woman who identified as lesbian bolted. Like it was, she looked, looked, she said, this isn't going to work for me, and out she went. Um, but time and time again, I have conversations with my LGBTQ clients, and they raise faith questions. There's a longing to find a path of spirituality, and the hindrance keeps coming back to messages my clients have received from the church. So a few examples, I have a woman who identifies as lesbian. At age 14, she was in a church, and the youth pastor basically said, you can be lesbian or you can have Jesus, but not both. Jesus 
She's in her 40s now, and she continues to have a longing in her heart for faith. She recently attended a conference that I encouraged her to attend, focusing on bridging faith in the LGBTQ community. And she didn't attend to get more settled in her orientation. She attended um, because she hoped that faith questions might be answered. She struggled to find a church she has looked, or a pastor that would see past her orientation. I have a trans man in his 30s, and uh, during his teen years, he attended a Christian residential rehab uh, center for troubled youth. Uh, Makes no bones about the fact that he has struggled, but was repeatedly told as part of his time at this rehab center that he was an abomination. And the psychological injury continues to affect him 20 years later. I have another man in his 30s who saw me uh, for two years. Uh, We were talking about all kinds of issues. And in hindsight, I uh, probably would have asked different questions. Um, But he returned uh, recently. And in a uh, uh, coded questions and vague statements, carefully revealed that he thinks he might be gay. And so I had the privilege, and I call it that, of having somebody uh, feel that they could come out in a Christian setting with faith questions. His greatest fear is that everything that he has will be ripped away. And he has already shared and took a chance to come out to his best friend who has since uh, broken off the relationship. He now fears that he's going to be outed at the church that he attended and uh, will lose everything that um, he has there because of judgment. And, and I hear these stories, and they're just a few um, that draw out the desire that I see in LGBTQ people who desire faith, who desire a relationship with God, yet experience this wall. And so I've, as a follower of Christ, my response has been that I started advocating for this vulnerable and oppressed group. Um, Jonathan and I attended a conference put on by Generous Space Ministries last year. And uh, this organization is a group that focuses on creating generous space around the table of faith that people would come to experience that they are beloved of God. And I attend a smaller geographic group where I identify as an ally in the group. Um, People in this group have been oppressed, they've been discriminated against, they've been rejected by family and church, and they're simply looking for a place to be loved. Um, Now, that would be my response, but why has this become a personal discontent? This goes beyond my office. Mm -hmm. This comes right here to this family, this community. And I know of at least five families within this church that have someone that identifies as part of the LGBTQ community. I've taken time to meet with some of those families and speak with them about their journey. And I hope to meet with others that I haven't met with. And to date, what I hear makes me sad. I have cried tears with NAC family. I've prayed with, and with some mourned over the loss 
of those members to our family here, where NAC just wasn't experienced as a place that they could explore and grow in faith, given their identity as part of the LGBT community. So I, on my journey, am committed to bridging this gap between faith and the LGBT community and being an agent of reconciliation to the deep hurt that many have experienced. It's here. It's us. It's how do we respond. And I kind of feel like a question maybe we need to wrestle with is like, would somebody in the LGBTQ community feel like NAC is a place where they can explore and grow in faith? And if not, why not? And, and, and if not, what are, what are we even doing? <laughs> um, because that's our call. And uh, I just wonder if this can be a place where no one, gay, straight, no one has to pretend to be something they're not. So, Dave, I'm not one of those people who have ever, uh, you know, carried a picket sign. Um, and yet I feel a sense of culpability I suppose, um, what, what is our culpability as, as a church in this mm. issue? I, I think I'm going to approach this question and, and tell you what I think my culpability is. Because um, each of us has to wrestle with this, with this question. Um, when we look at the Big C Church, um, it doesn't have a great track record uh, and has been perpetrator throughout history of a series of injustice, uh, or injustices, judgments, oppression. Uh, even very recently, both uh, two issues, the residential school history and the abuse of children by priests. Uh, those are recent enough in the news that probably every person in this room um, recognizes those. And, uh, I would say from perhaps what I've said from these stories that we can't deny that hatred and oppression has been demonstrated toward the LGBTQ community. So what is my culpability? How do I look at this? Um, I may not like that I'm guilty by association or I might like not like that I'm guilty by identifying as the body of Christ. But I can't say this part of the body did the oppression and I as part of the body am not responsible in any way. I can't change what happened, but I can change my response and I can stand against oppression, violence, discrimination at any level. I can be an agent of reconciliation. And if my response is a but to any of those accusations, those stories that I hear from the queer people that I interact with, then I think I'm missing the point of, of their cry, of their um, uh, hurt. Um, I've appreciated this GS group that I've attended. Um, it's rather uh, strange, but I'm becoming more and more aware of my inherent blindness. Um, there I get described as, and this is true, I am white, I am straight, I am cisgender, I am male. I hold an automatic position of privilege and influence. And in this position of privilege, I'm learning how often I am blind to how I perpetuate 
ongoing dialogues, discriminations, oppressions uh, of minority groups of any kind. They're from words I use in conversations, how I use my privilege to influence situations, and I guess that's part of where I've come, is I need to continue to become more aware of my language, my biases, and my cont contribution to maintaining oppressive structures. I'm working on my privilege to advocate and to stand in front of those being targeted. And what does it mean for any of us? I think we as a church, as the one body of Christ, I think NAC, as the group and community to which we identify, I, I would encourage you to say, how am I culpable for any of discrimination, violence, hatred, rejection directed to community of LGBTQ? I started out as a silent participant. Hmm. Um, I know that I've participated in ridicule. I've been involved in competitive sports in the dressing rooms and the jokes that are made. Hmm. I've been in high school through the time where uh, words were used that cut to the core. And so I've made this commitment to listen and learn from the community, to hear their stories, and take responsibility for reconciliation to the degree that I can, and to apologize, which I often have to do at these GS meetings, and for my silence. So, I don't know, do you have a friend, Jonathan asked that, that you know that identifies as part of the community. Um, if you do, would you be comfortable in bringing that person to NAC? Um, if not, what does NAC need to change? I, I remember using the three-letter F word as a pejorative insult. I remember using sort of a stereotypical gay voice for comedic effect. I have, I have my own personal things to reckon with. And also, I suppose, have systemic things to reckon with. I'm part of the system now. And, um, and by the way, just uh, can you remind me what cis means? That might be helpful for others, but I hear that more and more. The cis male... What's the terminology there? It would be that my gender is consistent with my assigned sex based okay. at birth. Okay. And I suppose if, if uh, Dave, you could tell us a little more about your, your dream of the kind of church you, you would like to see NAC become, if we haven't already. Sure. Rita, can you put that picture of the this little sticker up. I think it's there. There's a picture of this little sticker that I have here. This one? Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay. Oh, okay. It does come up pretty good. So it, it, this is the sticker, and I was going to go, I have this sticker, which most of you can't see from there, okay? One of my LGBTQ uh, clients gave me this sticker, and it sits on my desk, and on the other side of it is my Bible. And um, why do I have this in my office? Because it is a quiet way of saying this is a safe place. One of my dreams is, and I, I've said to one of my LGBTQ clients that I want to put the sticker on our door here. His response was, when you do, I'll come to church. 
Um, and some people would say, well, why do you want to do that? Like, do we really have to go to that point? And what makes it necessary to be overtly seeing a message that the LGBT community are welcome here, that they'll experience a positive, a generous space, uh, without an intentional overt message. Uh, we are viewed with skepticism at best and outright fear at worst. These experiences that I've been describing are just a few. And so even the sticker itself is going to create skepticism because a sticker alone can be meaningless if it isn't uh, openness here isn't genuine. So that was a, a, a big thing for me. Um, even having this conversation, maybe there's some asking, why do we even need to have this? Because uh, if we just say we are a welcoming church, that's, that, that includes everybody. But you're saying that um, it, it needs to be a little more overt than that if, if, if that community is going to actually feel welcome. Um, like we need to say explicitly, this is a, is a welcoming place for that community. Mm -hmm. It's true. And, and I think even that term, um, different faith groups have used different terms, welcoming, affirming, accepting, uh, just, love, and adaptive. Um, my hope at NAC is that we don't have to identify a term. I hope that we become a place of radical hospitality. Um, it would be a spirit of humility, uh, a conscious awareness of justice and the places that we fail to exercise that justice. And just an attitude of mutuality and community. I'm hoping NAC is a place that the LGBT community can come, can participate in. They can use their spiritual gifts and be appreciated and celebrated for the richness of the creativity that they hold as they've been made in the image of God. Um, I guess I'll just... I've, one more dream there, and I guess it's that we become a community that listens first, that extends grace. Just a heart moment. <laughs> Genuinely walks with each other, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, wealth, etc. Everything that our Charter of Rights says that we as followers of Christ and messengers of God should be doing so much better. And I hope for a community that's open to hearing the ways that actions and words are oppressive and are willing to change. Um, as I said, I've been on a journey and what I know now uh, would have changed a lot of what I might have did, done in the past. Um, but that basically is kind of where my heart is. I want to assure you that the question of orthodoxy is important to me. Um, but orthodoxy does include this idea that of ultimate importance to God is that every human being has the chance to experience God's extravagant reconciling love through his son Jesus. So people are going to gravitate to where they are loved. And if they don't find love in the church, 
they'll go elsewhere. Um, I, I think we can be on a, on a spectrum theologically, conservative, liberal, and come to unity on this question of is this a safe place for everyone to explore faith and experience the love of Jesus. So if the good news isn't good news for the LGBTQ community, then it's just, it's not good news. Um, in short, I just hope we are a place that loves, listens, looks like Jesus. And I, I remember going to that uh, Generous Space Conference where people from that community who have a faith and are trying to figure it out themselves invited pastors to come. And we, uh, everybody had lanyards, but we had big red lanyards. And it was probably a twofold reason. I think one was maybe to just give us a little taste of what it feels to be on the outside looking in, maybe to, to be the ostracized for once. But a more serious thing was that for many of those people there, a pastor, a Christian, had been a source of great harm and pain and wounding. And so for many of them, um, it was a way of saying, I'm not sure you're safe, mm -hmm. right? And I would like us to be a safe place. So. There's so much more that could be said. I, I just wonder if, if you have um, thoughts on our response here. <clears throat> I think as, as we finish up today, um, I know from my own experience that there's many different responses to the conversation today. And, and, and for some people, there might be a sense of being offended by the very fact that we're having this conversation. Um, for others, some of the things that perhaps I've said and I think offense has its roots in the sense of disagreement. And if we're in disagreement on something, that begs for a dialogue. It begs for a discussion. Not a sense of taking a position, but a sense of going, how can we come together? As Jonathan said, perhaps in a smaller group, perhaps around a um, coffee table. Um, our nervousness in this presentation today is more and as a, the greater concern for me today is that if anything that we have said here together has continued to oppress anybody that identifies with the community today, that our heartfelt desire is to uh, bring about change in a place of safe community. But if we've inadvertently done the opposite, we do want you to know right up front, uh, we would apologize and ask your forgiveness for that. And I would be very open um, afterwards to have conversations with anybody. So I'm, I will hang around, um, around here um, and um, be willing to, to talk. Uh, I'm going to invite uh, Johan up and um, I've asked Johan um, to just prepare a, a prayer that would bring our conversation to a, a close today and, and pray that uh, as you reflect on these words that um, they would uh, lead you 
on another step of a journey. Um, so, Johan, thank you, and Jonathan, thank you. So, um, I would say that my main gifting is encouragement, and sometimes that's um, patting you on the back, and sometimes that's walking with you through a difficult time. But sometimes it's um, being a word that might convict and lead to repentance and transformation. Um, but those words never condemn. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And as um, David said, although you know, I've, a lot of this is phrased as the big C church, if we're honest, it impacts us here at NAC and us as individuals. So I'm going to pray, and there's like um, different statements written with Forgive us, Lord. And then there'll be a slight pause that as the Holy Spirit prompts you, you can um, just respond in your heart. Father, your heart is that everyone would come into a saving relationship with Jesus to feel your warm embrace. But for the LGBT community, we have made this difficult. Forgive us, Lord. In the LGBT community, we have brought your name into disrespect. We have presented you as religious, uncaring, put conditions on your love. Instead of showing grace and mercy, we have put millstones around their necks. Forgive us, Lord. We say that we love them, but in reality, we have shown hate. Instead of building bridges, we have built walls. Forgive us, Lord. We have not followed your example, your love for and friendship with the prostitutes and tax collectors. Instead, we have behaved more like the Pharisees. Forgive us, Lord. We have been too quick to cast stones, not trying to understand or empathize. Forgive us, Lord. Father, we have treated this community differently to everyone else. Forgive us, Lord. And for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, some who have grown up in NAC, who have felt fear, unwelcome, condemned, for their families, through our action or inaction, who have felt shunned and ostracized. We seek your forgiveness and yours. On this topic, Lord, we have allowed Satan to get a foothold. Churches have been divided and destroyed. People have left. 
We fight in public, criticizing our brothers and sisters who have different opinions than ourselves. Forgive us, Lord. Father, we need your help to tear down the walls and heal the wounds. We all have prejudices. Search us and purify our hearts. Help NAC become a place where everyone feels welcome and your unconditional love abounds. Amen. Feel free to stand and sing with us. Oh, come out of sadness from wherever you've been And come broken-hearted, let rescue begin Well, I've enjoyed working at NAC, and it's been a good run, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, you know, because um, you're a loving people and you're a welcoming people. And so I feel like this is um, not easy, but a safe place to share my heart on this, Dave's heart on this. Dave's going to continue to kind of linger around the atrium area. Good guy to pray with, a good guy to push back on, a good guy to just have the conversation with. And so he's just making himself available. Is Ian still here, Ian Knight? Um, just, Ian, just come and said something during the break that I thought was so simple, so profound, and uh, maybe just share that with us before we go today. I have this uh, belief that for any situation or topic that's under consideration, there's a word from the Bible that will address it. And here's what has been resonating with me for the last, uh, well, several years, but, but more so in the last week. Uh, a lot of us memorized John 3.16 when we were kids or, or at some point in our life, and very few of us know John 3.17. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. That sense of condemnation, whether it's been given or whether it's been perceived, is not from Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves your kids. Jesus even loves your mother-in-law. <laughs> Jesus loves. The sense of ostracism, alienation, that's not Jesus. And in a minute, Jonathan's going to tell us not just to come to church, but to go be the church. And we get to go into the marketplace tomorrow. Your family, the sports arenas, the wherever. And we get to be the people who don't carry condemnation. We carry the ministry of reconciliation that's in Christ. Amen. That's how we get to be the church. Amen. Good word, brother. Um, 
the you beside you right now, I'm just going to quote Andy Stanley, the you beside you right now in your, in your pew, uh, the you beside you at your cubicle, the you beside you at school, the you beside you in traffic uh, takes priority over your potentially flawed view um, because we're all wrong about something. Um, but is my religion or my politics or my even theology, is it getting in the way of loving people that God loves? Um, so again, just to be specific, and let me again quote Andy, does our virgin version of Christianity get in the way of loving the people that God loves? God is love. And I, I do want to thank you for coming to church. You know that you don't have to come to church to experience God. Do you know you don't even have to come to church to experience church? That you can be with other Christians and experience that love and that breaking of bread and that accountability outside these walls. So thank you for coming to church. But as, as Ian stole my line, you know... Go be the church. God bless you. You are a love people.